0: grace mercy and peace be unto you from god our father and our lord and savior jesus christ amen last week the first sunday in lent we heard about temptation and how it comes from the devil the world and yes even our own fallen flesh and these things this unholy trinity try to lead us away from god and into sin And we see that our victory is found only in Christ, who has overcome these things by his life, death, and resurrection. Now today, we see the trial, that is, this life of faith lived toward God. We see the persistence of faith, even as God himself at times stretches us, making us wonder, is he against us? But finally, we see our hope in his mercy found in Christ. Christ for us. St. Matthew records for us today, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. So when this situation is presented before us, and we hear this every year, and there's different accounts in the other Gospels that kind of provide other details to kind of put the whole picture together, and then we hear this response of Jesus, of this woman pleading for the sake of her daughter, it strikes us in our minds and we think, what? He's Jesus. Of course he would stop and help this woman. Why in the world is he not saying anything? Well, we're not wrong in our thinking, but we err in the how. Jesus is helping this woman, even when he first ignores her, and then again when he rebuffs her to his disciples, and finally, in a sense, when he calls her a dog. The trial is for her good. And in some ways, it's similar to what we heard in the epistle reading when St. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, here's part of the problem, though. In our minds, that's not how we think. The Christian life and faith is a cruciform faith. It's a life of trial, a life of enduring suffering. And the character of faith is that it clings unwavering to the promises of God during these times. And so we see that God never tempts us to sin, nor does he cause evil things to happen in our lives, but even he does send us times of trial or discipline, and even those evil things he can use for our own good. A great chapter of the Bible that speaks to this is Hebrews chapter 12, sometime Just read through that whole chapter and the progression that goes through it. Martin Luther loved this chapter, and he used it a lot in his pastoral care with God's people. We have letters that he would would get letters all the time writing to him, you know, from princes, from just common people. What do I do about this, Dr. Luther? And Hebrews 12 was kind of a go-to chapter that he would refer to. And at the beginning of that chapter, God first directs us to Christ. And what it means then to be a son of God through faith. whom he receives. And so knowing Christ, then, is first knowing that God in the flesh is the God who suffered. Our Lord is not our life coach. He's not the social justice warrior. He's not the buddy who pats us on the back and drinks a beer with us while watching a football game. He's not some dynamic personality who just wins over people by his personality or whatever gimmick he has of the day or any number of false things. No, Jesus is the crucified one, the one who endured the cross and its shame of bearing the sin of the world. And that's the Lord, the true Lord, who you are baptized into, the Lord you've died with in the waters of your baptism. You've died to your sin. You've died to the world which tries to teach you its lies. You've died to the kingdom of the devil who has a hold on you in your sin. And you've even died to death because you will live forever. So facing then the things of this life, you see them and recognize them for what they are. And you see them through the lens of Christ. And you endure as Christ endured. Fixing your eyes on him who is the author and perfecter of your faith. So even the discipline at times we receive from God, we hear further in Hebrews 12, he goes on to say, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it. Now going back then to this woman... From the beginning, we see something about how she views Jesus. She knows that Jesus is not just some prophet, not just some guy going around spouting off stuff. She knows he's the Lord. She knows he's the Messiah. She calls him Lord. She calls him Son of David, a title of his messianic sonship. So she has heard of him. And through that word, the Holy Spirit has given her faith. Now, when she is before him, she knows that she doesn't deserve for Jesus to give her anything. There's a reason why she's a Canaanite woman. Her very existence testifies to the fact that God's people did not listen to him. God told the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites, and they didn't. They spared some of them, and now here is one of their descendants from this pagan people who did not worship the Lord, standing before him but she doesn't share in her people's unbelief her eyes are fixed on the hope that is in jesus and that he would look upon her in mercy so the discipline of jesus here is for her and ultimately for her daughter as well and so jesus what he does is he stretches her so to speak in order to show us too that faith must be tried And it must be tested. And dare we say, it was painful for her in this encounter with the Lord. What did she most likely want? Jesus right away to heal her daughter. But no, he drug her out a little bit. Her faith, though, is steadfast in all of this. Its genuineness is revealed and strengthened through this, as we hear in 1 Peter chapter 1, when St. Peter writes, "...and this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary." You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus then goes on and he tells her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she responds, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, a woman great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So rather than throwing up her hands and thinking, well, what's the point in all of this? He's just not going to listen to me. She continued looking to Christ, even as he said that to her and basically said, I'm not going to take and give this to you a dog. And rather than telling God how things ought to be in her mind, according to her terms, she finally then takes this word that he speaks to her, and she clings to it. She clings to that promise, however small it may have appeared to be, even the promise of crumbs. Now, at no point was Jesus going to let her fall, as he was the one putting her through all of this. God promises he won't do this, rather he promises to keep her and us in the faith through his word. He knows the limits. The faith he has given to you, he will keep you in, and he will sustain you. God is not your enemy. The devil, the world, and your fallen flesh, they are your enemies. And so even though at first glance it may appear it Jesus was not the enemy of this woman in the reading. Jesus was and is the Lord. And even in all of this, he is the loving God who showed her mercy. So now for you, this day, who hear this word of God, the Lord calls you to take heart what he teaches. Your faith has begun, it's sustained, and it sees its completion in Christ. So understand who God is, understand what he does. And there's a warning in all of this for you to not get caught up by other things in this world which seek to take your eyes off of Christ. We heard about that a couple of weeks ago in the parable of the sower. Even those who believe for a while, they get caught up in the cares and pleasures of this life and then fall away. There is a temptation for you to be a fair-weather Christian who wants God to be the kind of father who just lets you eat candy and play video games all day long. Those kind of fathers who try to be friends with their kids, they don't understand fatherhood. And they end up not loving their children, even if they think they are. From a father's standpoint, it is hard when your kids get mad at you. But even when you discipline them, you're doing it because you love them. And you see, your God, your father loves you with the perfect love of Christ. So even as he disciplines you, and it may seem to stretch you at times, and you begin to wonder, is God for me or against me? Even that discipline is a sign of his love and care. If God didn't discipline you in this life, Hebrews 12 tells us, you would be illegitimate. You would not be a son of God. Because God cares enough even to call you to repentance. To tell you enough that if you continue in your sin, it will lead to hell. And we also see this understanding of the Christian faith forms our piety. Forms our life of prayer, a life of worship, our hymnody and these things. Piety is all those things of how we kind of express and live the Christian faith. Those hymns that we sing today are great examples of this. Good Christian hymns are specific who God is and what he does. Our liturgy is the same way. Some of us were talking the other day about many of these false things about God, this idea of God only giving good things or whatever the case may be. They've come into the church, not through the front door of just some guy false teaching. Well, that does happen at times. But they come in through these back doors Things that seem innocuous, a song that sounds nice, something we like to hear, because maybe it's catchy, it's popular, or it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy, and it doesn't cause us to think, it doesn't accuse us in our sin. But thankfully, those things are a flash in a pan. They're here one day, gone the next. They last a generation or two, and then you don't even know what they are. Those good hymns and piety are timeless treasure. And they don't mince words about this life, nor do they try to paint a picture of God where he has some mushy, effeminate, generic deity and make things appear like God is just one of the guys of this world. Or he's just there to say, buck up, kiddo, it'll be okay. No, as we sang today and as we will continue to sing, they contain both law and gospel. They teach us the cross of the Christian life. They point us clearly to Jesus as our Savior and how we have this salvation given to us through the means of grace. And in this way, good hymns are a wonderful tool with when memorized. They inform you that, yes, even God may send you times of trouble. You trust that no poison can be in the cup that your good physician gives you to drink. Nothing can move you from God in the hour of deepest need, whatever that may be, and you know where to look for aid. Countless times we sing these hymns at uh, the bedside of somebody dying through terrible times in life facing all kinds of hardship of people sinning against you divorces miscarriages death loss of job and we don't try to brush those things aside but rather we see that as hebrews tells us therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight Every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This Sunday in the church year is such a comfort as you see the faith of the Canaanite woman, not because she's a great person but because of who the Lord is and what he does. And it's a wonderful thing to have God treat you with the care that he treated this woman. The Lord loves you in Christ and he has your good in mind at all times. So even at times when there is calm, when there's joy, give him thanks. At that time when there is trial like a refiner's fire and it's refining you and it burns and it hurts, give him thanks. Understand that God is never the source of evil, of sin in your life, or in the sin against you. Clearly see sin for what it is, and repent. And if God does discipline you, see it as a sign of your sonship. In all times, always cling to the promises made in your baptism. As he absolves your sin, as God preaches to you, as he feeds you with his own body and blood. As he bids you say, come and I will give you rest. And hold those promises before your eyes, always knowing that in Christ you have God's mercy as your sin is forgiven and you are an heir of eternal life. So such joy, even in suffering, as you have access to God through faith in Christ, as he has made peace by his blood. So lift up your eyes and reminiscere, remember, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust, let me not be put to shame. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O God, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Such wonderful things for us to hear as we confess our sin and as we remember and have God's mercy in Christ. And he continues to remember you now and even unto life everlasting. For your sin is forgiven in this one who shows mercy. And you have eternal life. Amen.